Hey everybody, it is Richard Harris and I'm here with my good friend Scott Lease as we launch into our next episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. We are super, super excited uh, to have the one and only Tammy McQueen uh, joining us today. Uh, Tammy has been a good friend and confidant for the last many years. Um, I originally met Tammy when she was at Sales Loft, um, helping build that product and program into what it has become. And she's now gone off onto her own thing. She's a co-founder of 31 South, um, which I'll let her explain because I know I will butcher it other than to say I know one of her clients is Ric Flair. And as a wrestling <laughs> fan, I'm very, very, I think that's like the coolest thing ever. Um, <laughs> I probably didn't even know that, that about me. I did not know that. I did that story. Yeah. Rich, Richard's making Georgia redneck comes out. Um, <laughs> there we but, go. We're super excited to have you here with us, Tammy. Also, Tammy was one of the very first attendees to our very first ever Surf and Sales. So um, mm -hmm. you know, if you ever have a question about it, and uh, she's always happy to talk about it and share her experience with it. But Tammy, thank you for joining us today. We are super glad to have you. Awesome. Thank you both so much. I'm really excited to chat with you. It's always fun just sitting down and it's sort of a meeting of the minds and I always leave so invigorated and refreshed. So I'm excited. That's great. Well, the one thing I want to make sure before we jump into questions, and I know Scott's got a couple, but um, you're of a marketing background, right? You uh, definitely carried this, the, the, the marketing brand with sales loft, but you really understood sales. Um, and you still understand sales very, very well, which I think is one of the reasons you're here. But, you know, can you maybe give a little bit of a background on your connection between marketing and sales and, and how that works. And, and by all means, please let people know what 31 South does just so they can get yeah, sense. Absolutely. Thanks so much. So 31 South is a creative agency um, that is focused on four specific areas. Um, that's performance marketing, um, event marketing, um, video, digital, and then experiential. Um, so we really dive into those four areas um, for both B2B and B2C companies um, from the growth stage all the way to enterprise and really trying to come in and shake it up a little bit uh, go away from um, the standard protocol of marketing. I believe there is zero magic behind a gated ebook um, and that's sort of what directs what I, what I do. Um, my connection between sales and marketing and I think in my early career, I was very heavily focused with marketing and then dived into the SaaS world and sales acceleration and marketing for a sales company, which very much was at the onset of the so-called sales and marketing alignment, which everyone still just likes to talk about and do nothing about it. And I think that was really interesting to have that understanding of the product, but not necessarily living and breathing in the product. Um, until I started 31 South, where I was suddenly doing the marketing and the sales and shifting from, sure, I had a sales team or there was a sales component to what I did from a marketing perspective, presenting that to them. I'm now doing all of that. And so that was really something that was interesting to take that approach um, and understand what that looks like. So I'm sending out cold emails, warm emails, I'm at events, I'm making those, um, having those conversations, but then also following through um, with that entire engagement. Um, and so doing that as well with the clients that we work with, that is a holistic marketing approach where we're not going to be successful unless we know 
what um, sales believes to be important or what metrics they're tracking. No use going to an event and dragging sales behind a booth and asking them to be productive if we're not supporting them in a way that can really facilitate their growth and help them hit the numbers they need to. So do you, do you feel like, <clears throat> so you're talking about, you know, the sales and marketing alignment and that movement. Do you mm -hmm. feel like sales and marketing orgs are more aligned today than they were five, six years ago when you first got into this kind of uh, arena? I think people are more aware of it, whether they're doing it or not is another story. So I think there's an awareness around it and people think they need to do it. I don't think people know how to do it really well. Um, there are maybe a handful of companies that can do it really well. well give, it, give, give, give us and the listeners like your top, top two or three tips for, for how sales and marketing can, can be better aligned, right? Because I think yeah, in a lot of companies, there's this battle waging all the time between the two departments, For sure. right? So give us your, your top couple tips. So, if, you know, for example, marketing is looked at as a team that sits in the corner and plans parties and prints brochures and goes to all the conferences around the country, um, while sales is plugging behind um, a computer, really on the phone and dialing. So I think for marketing to really understand where they come into it and for sales to respect what they're doing, I think marketing needs to have a revenue number tied to them. I agree. Marketing absolutely needs to have a revenue number tied to them. Gone are the days where you can just say, oh, we're going to get top of the funnel leads in. We need 2000 leads a month. Okay. Well, those leads are probably going to be shit because no one cares. I've been at Dreamforce where I've seen the marketing team at a company scan the badges of the wellness monks that were brought in. Right. So, I've seen this. I've I've seen it absolutely being annihilated. And this is why marketing gets a bad rap is because they are not focused on an end goal. If you put a revenue number on a marketing person's, you know, uh, quarterly priority project or their one page strategic plan, things are going to work very differently. They're going to sit in a sales meeting once a week. They're going to have a better relationship with that sales manager. They're going to really understand, well, okay, what, um, is this video just for marketing fun and games and I'm splashing up really cool graphics or am I delivering something that you can actually use? I have a follow-up, a follow-up question, question here. How, <laughs> how receptive, how receptive are marketing leaders right now to having a revenue number attached to them? Well, I what's mean, their, they, what's, their, what's the common response when, when you, you know, tell them that? I know, I know. I just don't know how to prove it. And I think they are receptive to it because there's a lot more scrutiny coming from the C-suite down that they absolutely have to show, okay, you go into a conference or you're hosting a massive event. Well, what is the percentage of your total addressable market that was in that room at one time versus, oh, it's a branding play. We can't measure branding. So you just can't be, you can no longer use that. Oh, it's for branding. You just can't use it. And marketers know that, that they are scrutinized. Their budgets are um, a lot leaner than they may have been um, for fun and games. And also they really need to understand what those metrics are. So I think marketing leaders are receptive to it, but suddenly changing and requiring or suddenly believing that they can develop um, or establish a relationship with the, the VP of sales 
is a little lofty. I think it's got to start small. I think they've, they've really got to be in it together. I've seen a few companies do this really, really well. Um, and others, it's, it's an upward battle that many are not willing to face. Yeah, how do you, let's say you're going to, let's, let's say if someone's walking out of here, there's some CEO, you know, of a startup and they're, and they're mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I need to put a number on my marketing, right? I need to give yeah. them a number to chase, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And, but, and you want to be mindful of marketing. You don't want to scare them too much, but you definitely sort of want to light a fire under them. Yeah, of course. How do you determine what's an appropriate number the first time you do this? Yeah. So I think there's two metrics that you can really follow that would be really impactful for marketing teams just to at least find their benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sales accepted leads is one of the easiest ways that they can really gauge and measure their um, impact on a sales team. What do you mean? Um, what kind of sales activities? Sales accepted leads. Oh, sales so, accepted leads. So, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So sure. MQLs are fine, but how many of those are really going to, Uh, be executed again. So I think sales accepted leads is one of them. If we are looking at what the sales goals are per quarter, for example, and then working backwards from that, how they're going to get that from outbound, but then that so-called inbound, what is that attached to it? And I think the benchmark is, what is that inbound number through that funnel that they have? And then starting at least at that benchmark. Right. Um, the second, the second one that I would give, especially from an experiential standpoint, is what is the percentage of your target accounts that attend an event? Um, no use filling the, you know, filling the room with the wrong people. I'd rather have five people of the right accounts there of your top tier accounts than a hundred people that are never going to answer the call or show up to a meeting. Um, so I think having a percentage there and then also bringing in cu- your customers and what that looks like. So another question, cause, cause this really now, now this is turning into a compensation discussion, right? Because, yeah. so let's say you make this shift and you're going to start to tie to things like sales accepted leads, start tying to, you know, the right people in the right room. Maybe it's, you know, use cases or case studies written every quarter, which I think is a great one. Um, cause if they can write two case studies a quarter in a year, you got eight of them. And now all of a sudden you've got, sure. stories, right. Yeah. Then, and then of course that ties to a specific revenue number. How much mm-hmm. of the marketing's compensation now is tied to those much tighter metrics around that? Um, again, I'm, I'm thinking from this sort of CEO perspective, okay, I'm really going to sort of tighten it up on 2020 and we're going to start to have marketing focus on this. Do these numbers only account for maybe. 30 or 40 percent of their their compensation for this year and then next year it might be 50 50 or how what have you seen i don't think marketing is ready yet to enter into a role that is comp based and performance related in that regard i don't think marketing teams are functioning in a way that they are only comped based on the what they deliver i just don't think they're mentally there yet i really don't and I, I think I it would, Scott, Scott smiling and he's going, oh, I'm, 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 I'm dying. I'm dying because, you know, salespeople have been mentally ready for, for right. this for, for since the dawn of time. Like, yeah, exactly. Pension is 30 to 50% salary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, as, as a marketer, as a marketer that is now a shock, I get it. Listen, yeah. I, I've, I've been on both sides of it. I'm, I'm hunting and I'm eating everything that I hunt too. Right. So, 
So the do you force is, it on them? It's like, Mark, then it comes to a larger question, which is like, no, because I think uh, there's a middle ground. I think you could have a, an SDR on the marketing team. I think that's a decent transition. I think bringing the SDR into the marketing side and really handling some sort of transition between that is somewhat of a, of a, of a parlay into a truly um, marketing revenue generating machine. But may, I, I have not seen a team that does this. Yeah. I've not I'll, seen I'll, a marketing I'll, team I'll on comp. Alternatively, maybe we just give uh, everybody in sales full compensation and take away their, their commission, right? Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe, exactly. maybe just uh, we suddenly get to to operate the way everybody else has operated. All Everyone else does. Years. Exactly. We don't necessarily have to drag everybody up to our stressful level. Maybe yeah, right. Exactly. Why do you think? Why do you think? Why do you think marketers have a hard time bringing a sales team? Like, I don't. I'm not going to pull a salesperson away from their phone and away from their desk to stand behind a six foot table with a branded stack of pyramid stress balls and hope they're going to do something. <laughs> I just refuse to do it, you know, so they're not going to close the deal that I want them to close. And I'm around prancing around. I gave them a branded polo shirt and expect them to do something. Those days are over. The days are gone. Let me, let me sw gone. switch gears for, for a second. How, how, how do you feel like um, your, how do you feel like your expertise in marketing has made you a better salesperson, right? You're, you're the founder of your, your own business. I'm sure you're still going around hustling, trying to close deals and pitching people all the time. Mm -hmm. How has, how, how has that marketing experience given you a leg up, right? Like you have all this marketing experience, Richard, I don't have that, right? I don't have that. I don't have that background, right? So is, is it a big advantage you think, or is it a little bit of a disadvantage and why? I'm going to turn that around and tell you straight up that sales has made me a better marketer. Oh, and yeah. I think, and yeah. I think, it's, you know, I think from a marketing perspective, yes, you understand what's happening. You under, you sort of have an idea of what moves the needle to a mass amount of people, but having really understood and you know, sat across the table from decision makers and really what they're doing. Cause I'm going through the sales process to then go market to them. So yes, I can sell the marketing process to them and what we're going to do, but I've learned to be a better marketer through that sales process and understanding and listening better, you know, listening and being a lot more empathetic to what their real challenges are as marketers. We, tell people what their problems are and that we're going to solve for them in sales. What I found is that I'm truly understanding and um, digging in a little bit deep about what their challenges are so that I can market to them. So they're making my job as a marketer a lot easier. I, I so would, that's where that, I'm going to push back on you. I think marketing and this is, this is my gripe is that marketing doesn't do a good job of telling people what their problems are. Marketing does a good job of telling people what you do. They t they're really good at tell talking about yeah. what the product or service does, but not in relation to the pain they solve. And I, and I, like I, I go to Dreamforce and I go to these conferences yeah, and sure. nowhere, nowhere on anybody's background does it ever say, if you're a VP of sales, here's the pain we solve for you. And sure. I guarantee no, you that I would agree. get way more attention at a trade show than, you know, your bright little sunshine and a rainbow and a unicorn. 
Um, I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you there, Richard. And I think what's interesting is that um, what I've found is really valuable is companies don't do this as much is that they're not selling the value and the process of what that product solves for. If you're selling the value and the process of what it does, they in turn have to buy that product. I feel like somebody um, so I, I know wrote a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think selling, you know, I think it's interesting because we have features and benefits and that's all we're working with. Um, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure that that's a solving much of a problem. That's the thing. Like, I don't think you are working with features and benefits. I think the really good marketers, and I know you were really good at this and, and still are, is really good marketers talk to the customer to say, what pain did we solve for you? Yeah. And I think that's, that's what's interesting. And I think marketing can do that very easily in listening to sales calls. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've preached this many times, but I don't know how many marketers um, actually listen to sales call recordings. Like, you know how much content you can create from that? You mm. can create content against every objection you hear. You can, you know, create what is the friction that there is to moving it long down to a close. And I don't know many marketers that would do that, but I think it's a great idea. So to your, to your point, if I heard you, you said, hey, let's take an SDR and put them on the marketing side. Maybe you put a marketing person on the sales side. And that's their job. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen to sales recordings, sit in meetings, go to, you know, and, and, and tie that in. There's got to be a, somewhere between marketing, sales, and customer success. And mm -hmm. It's all piecemeal. You have customer marketing, you have um, sales acceleration, and then you, and product marketing, and then you have marketing, marketing, fun, and splish, splash, and, you know, extravaganza everywhere. But this marketer over here that's putting the bells and whistles on a conference is not typically in a, in a average SaaS organization um, is not, there's not great communication there. So I think there's definitely a disconnect and yeah. What, what can we do as salespeople to learn more from marketing though? Like we've sat here and now, you know, as, as normal, Scott and I are very, it's easy for us to pick on marketing really hard. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's innate. In it's easy. For, it's easy for me to pick on anybody but sales, to be honest. Yeah, with you. Of course, I I get it, and I have respect for that. <laughs> so, but, but but that doesn't mean marketing always does it wrong either, right? Like, what um, are the things that marketing does that you kind of sometimes wish you could, you know, grab Richard by the collar and say, Richard, you know, STFU, listen to what I'm telling you. You're not getting it. Like, and this is yeah. what you need to understand about marketing. You know, I think marketing can um, go beyond selling products and services. They can sell the experience. They can sell the magic. They can sell the stories that are told over and over again. Um, and I think that's important. Um, a lot of marketers don't do that, but it's, you know, going beyond selling. And people don't buy goods and services and products. They buy stories, relations, and magic. That's what they do. And so marketing can really create that experience for um, the organization, for a, a team that needs that or has lacked that. And I think there are so many products on the market that do the exact same thing. It's what is that, um, how, how do you make them feel? How do you, and don't get me wrong, this is not some cliche Maya Angelou um, spin-off, but it's, it's really something that how do you treat them? How do you listen to them? How do you address all their problems? And I think, Sales, what they might not know about marketing is they 
they only know about marketing what they presented with. Okay, so they don't know that marketing is capable or could be capable of sharing um, something that might close a deal. It could be a 30 second video. It could be something completely different or unique. But I think it's also just having that conversation. If you have a really solid marketing team that you could go to or a leader that you respect to just have a straight up conversation. I think we're all so much in the business that we're not removing ourselves and saying, how do I operate this as, as my business? Everyone goes to work, punches the clock and does what they're told to do. But I found as soon as I've been put in a founder role and I'm like doing the entire end-to-end process, I've learned that it's not necessarily about just punching a clock and being told what to do, but it's like, it's my business. And I think that's where I have the leg up with going into clients is I'm spending their money as if it's mine. Um, and when you start doing that, you do things very differently. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how you mentioned, you know, kind of treating the business like it's, it's your own. There's, <clears throat> there's a huge movement. If it's not already here, it's certainly coming. There's a lot of chatter and talk about personal branding, right? Mm-hmm. And how everybody needs to start presenting and marketing themselves a particular way and how that's almost going to be compulsory and mandatory in order to sell as we move forward, right? Because they can trust you as a salesperson and your brand and the words and the content that you've produced and that kind of thing. How, what advice would you give people, you know, who, who are listening, who are trying to build that brand and that presence for themselves? Uh, online, you were one of the very first people that, um, you know, I knew of through your brand and through the content that you produced years ago um, via LinkedIn and things like that. And you've been very helpful to, you know, both of us in, in having this kind of discussion. So what, what would you say to, to folks? And, and do you agree that that trend is, is uh, more well, and more? I think firstly, before I dive into what could be helpful is one, that trend is coming. And two, I think organizations need to accept the fact that that's coming and encourage and not hinder people that are trying to do that and see the value from that. I've seen many organizations absolutely thwart the opportunities for people to get on stage, to speak, to be more uh, prolific about what they do because they think it could be a distraction to what they're doing. So I think if this is something that you want to do, really have a conversation with your manager and explain what the value prop is. Don't just go out there and please don't walk around with your cell phone like this all the time. That's not personal branding. I think personal branding is not setting out to be, oh, I'm going to be a thought leader. It's bringing value. It's just being helpful. It's being valuable. I know from what I share on LinkedIn, if I go on there and say, hey, here's our pitch deck, download it now, and there's a link you have to click, I might get two clicks, and those are from my co-founders, and that's it. No one cares about that. The way that I've been able to really just position myself in the market is being helpful, is how can I help? How can I share what I know? And if I've learned something, I'm going to go share it instead of holding on to it. I've learned well enough and I've paid my dues well enough that the experience that I've gained is unique in that I can deliver it the way I deliver it. If someone wants to steal my ideas, that's great. But what kind of advice would you give people who are maybe afraid to put that stuff out there? Maybe, maybe partly afraid 
to, to have themselves be that vulnerable and exposed, but maybe afraid for their job, right? Yeah. Like you talk yeah. about companies hinder it. You know, th there are plenty they of things I can think of where, um, you know, things that I've written have been questioned, let alone oh, people yeah. who are maybe just kind of beginning their career. Like how do you, how would you navigate that stuff in this new world yeah. that we've entered? Absolutely. I'd start small. I would pick out a handful, maybe five to 10 people that you really respect in your industry um, or ecosystem where you live and breathe and you're trying to fill your career. Identify those five to 10 people and one of them being someone, maybe your mentor, advisor, or champion, and respond to their posts on LinkedIn respond to their content on Twitter, instead of creating your own and creating that yeah. burden or that pressure, respond to them and create conversations within their threads. It will also increase your, the algorithm, whatever it may be, um, to get more visibility and give you that confidence as well as other people respond to you and create that conversation. I think that's really good advice. I hope everybody listens and pays attention to that. Yep, yep. Yeah. What, um, what do you see happening in 2020? You know, ABM has been the rage, right? For the last year or two, uh, which is great. And I don't think it should go anywhere. And I don't think it's going anywhere else. Anything new coming down the line? Like is, are people just getting better at ABM? So it's not just about, you know, Oh, here's a piece of content and let's match it to the AdWords and to the remnant space that we can get on Google clicks. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, you know, I think what's interesting is I'm really seeing companies, the light switch sort of coming on and saying, oh, massive conferences and events are not doing for us what we would like them to do. And I'm seeing more events within an event. And I think that's really impactful. Yep. Um, I think that is really important because you can rally people behind it and you can bring the sales team into that as their own. Um, so I'm seeing that. I'm seeing a lot of... Um, Companies take, um, I don't like the idea of a roadshow, but I like more of um, a, like a four-hour window of companies taking a content-driven approach to what they're sharing, getting leaders in the space to share what they're doing, but then coupling that with an experience that's memorable. So they're putting them in the, right, in the room with people who are absolutely influential to whether they're making purchasing decisions or um, influential in the space in general. And you, then creating something memorable. What would that look like? Like I, I, I heard you loud and clear, but I, I'm having a hard time visualizing that. Like, is that, is that yeah. different than a customer dinner, right? Um, yeah. Different than a prospect dinner. Like, what does a three or four hour thing look like? For example, um, we hosted an event at the San Francisco MoMA. And um, we had from 4.30 to 5, it was a welcome registration, cocktails, here we are. But before that, we sent a, um, a direct mail piece um, that was completely branded, opened it up, and inside was a booklet that, you know, in the swag shops, merchandise shops at a museum, all their products are there. So we got products from, the, from MoMA, a little notepad, put it in there, and there was an invitation. So we sent that out. Then, so that was incorporated with the sales team. We knew who their list was and what we needed. So welcome, and then five o'clock, we had a panel for 45 minutes of really just prolific um, influencers, a customer, and um, someone just really well-known in the space. Um, and then after that was heavier d'oeuvres in a different area, and then gorgeous um, open glass 
area overlooking um, San Francisco, and then they could browse around the museum. So it was creating that experience for them, but having just incredible people there. It was only for 30 people. Um, so you bring in that exclusivity into it, you bringing um, the right people in the room at the right time, and sales has to be so integrated into this process because we're not just filling seats, we are bringing the right people into the room. So we know we're tailoring it, marketing is tailoring the content to the people sales needs to close. Got it. Just out of curiosity, just to, to bookend it, after the event's over, do they do you send them a special thank you that's also customized in a unique way? Like, how do you how do you book Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. So everything um, the sales team will take it on from there, and they will share um, a recap from the events. We do a little bit of a video or whatever that looks like to to end it um, and share some of the content from it, and then they take it down their their funnel. Yeah. What What are you What have you learned about managing? salespeople and managing a sales pipeline in your founder or co-founder role? Oh, to be patient. (laughs) (laughs) Does that come, does that come easy for you or is that very difficult for you? No, because I'm that person that sends an email. Like, why haven't they responded? I just sent a proposal. Where is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had that conversation today about something. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I have, I am the most impatient person. In oh, the world, you know, so. and, and, and going through that process of, okay, let me text them. Let me leave them a little bit. Yeah. Do I call Interpol and land up on their doorstep? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's such a game. Yeah, what do I do? It's such a game. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a dating game. Like, Oh, and I then, had a great time, Tammy. Like I wonder how many days I need to wait to reach back. And out. then, Oh yeah, and then it's like I get a yes verbal on a, uh, on on over text. I'm like, they're cool, played cool, yeah. and then it's like LFG. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I am good. not it's good that you learn zero chill for me on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got I got a lot to learn. I was you know being in a fully functional sales capacity for you know, almost three years of, yeah. you know, chump change to what you are doing. Let's flip the conversation around a little bit. One of the things that Richard and I are doing, this feels like a good, good segue. One of the things we're doing on the podcast is taking a moment to pause and ask everybody who's appearing, how can we be helpful to you? What, what, what advice, you know, do you m- might need or, or what question might you be able to ask us that we can try to, uh, try to help you out with? We're kind of catching you off guard here, but that's the that's the whole point. Yeah, I think um, I think from a, from a founder perspective, a lot of it is um, the startups are celebrated. Everyone celebrates the bright shiny object, but what do you do to just stay the course in um, in the keep goings? Right, the people that are just chugging in over and over and over is like, what do you? Say to reinvent yourself or keep the course going. The course, you know, when you have a lot of these pop-up things popping up. You want to take that one first, Richard? You want me to go? I want you to go for it. Okay. Um, the, the the best thing that I can think of right now, off the top of my head, Tammy, is you've got to come up with um, real like micro goals, right? Yeah. Lots and lots of milestones. You you've got to find a way to continue to make everybody feel like they're winning, right? So it could be 
total customer number. It could be a revenue number. It could be mm-hmm. big project number it, it, or big project finishing up, right? It could be people kind of graduating into newer, bigger roles. It could be the team size growing. It's, it's all about continuing to buy into the mission and, and feeling reinforced that what you're doing is making an impact and being able to see those results. Right. And, and so to me, I think there's always got to be something there. There's always got to be something I'm chasing. There's always got to be the, the ability yeah. to walk out of the office that day feeling like a million bucks. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's, it's aligned with those things. I also feel like we need to create a little more space for creativity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Scott knows this about me. I think a lot of people know. I, I've, I've gotten really big in meditation, and um, and taking that ten minutes for during the day, and I do try to do it during the middle of the day or earlier in the day to try to think about nothing is really helpful. What ends up happening for me, um, yeah. I think it happens for a lot, is that you know for the first four or five minutes, my mind is racing, thinking about stuff. And I finally got to the point where I realized that my epiphany is not going to come in the first two or three minutes. It's going to come in the last 120 seconds, right? And it's because I'm giving myself that moment to pause and breathe and just let thoughts go in one ear and out the other. Then I can start to find those other things to help motivate myself. And then through motivating myself, motivating your, you know, your team, right? Like, so if you really just sat there and sat in your chair for 10 minutes and just said, okay, I mean, take some deep breaths, just kind of let go of things. Purpose of this let go is to just try to help keep other people motivated, other ways to do it. You're obviously going to run through the things you've been doing. Like your mind's going to naturally run through that. You kind of have to get to the end of the list to then be able to find something new to put on the list and get there. And so that to me is, is a really important thing is give yourself a little bit more space to create a quiet moment, which is where the creativity occurs, right? Like, I love that. People yeah. do that by going on a drive. Although you're in Atlanta, I know you don't want to go drive around in that traffic. Oh my gosh, no. I was just studying traffic for an hour. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but other people, you know, it, it happens a lot when people are on road trips. It happens when people are in the shower. There's just something yeah. about that repetitive hum that opens your mind. And so how can we create that repetitive hum in our head in a, in a different way for me is, is, is the biggest thing. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you. Sure. What else do we have? Do we have anything else, Scott? Or are we, are we... I want to I ask one more question before yeah. we let Sammy go. Okay. So, Sammy's been raging about, um, you know, the, the conferences and everybody standing there at these big booths, and, right? So here's, here's, the, here's the rub of it. You know, those reps who are there, it's not like they really chose to be there, right? They, they got sent there. Right. So I want you, I want you to think about the salespeople that are out there right now who have to go to some trade show somewhere or some conference, right. And stand and man the booth. All right. At somebody else's orders, which we know you would never give these exact kind of orders. Right. But there's salespeople out there right now who are listening and they're stuck at these stupid booths trying to make this thing work. Right. What can they do to make that experience as net positive for them as possible and kind of, save save themselves and the and the team from a disaster i think the most valuable thing they can do that will also impact them directly is to see which of their prospects 
are attending the conference and tech meetings on site and get them to either come to the booth or in a nearby vicinity to be able to have a conversation with them. So not only are they walking away from their deal flow that they're working on, but they're able to really tackle that in person, which is an advantage that many sales folks would never have if they're at their, so, at their so desk. Find a way to get FaceTime. That's the key takeaway. Yeah, find a way absolutely. to get FaceTime. I'm gonna, For sure. I'm gonna jump in on this because you guys are too young to remember. Um, it's probably true. That's true. So. There used to be a time where salespeople weren't allowed to go to the marketing events. Oh. Like Tammy's like, what? I'm like, yeah, think about it. Only the I didn't know that either. Yeah. Marketing went. And they were like, well, we can't take the sales reps off the phone. We can't take them away from the phone. And I was like, are you kidding me? You really want me to go send, and this is no offense to Tammy because she gets it. You really want me to trust that marketing is going to have a conversation about what our product and service does in a sales related way at a conference better than I can? You know, like, wait, well, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. That's so yeah. one, be careful to say, don't send me. I don't, I don't want to send the wrong message. The other thing I want to make sure too, and I, and I put this back on salespeople is stop creating this belief that you're, you've got so many other things to do while you're, you should be at the booth as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we are very good at creating as, as Scott once coined the excuse factory of, oh, I'm too busy. I shouldn't be at the booth. I, I, I got too many other yeah. things. And I'm kind of like, really, totally. what, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to go cold call. Yeah. That's, you know, which is okay. Like if you, if you're a cold caller, go do it. So, yeah. um, and I, I, I agree with I, you. I just want to make sure that people understand there's a balance in there between what, what Scott and Tammy are saying and what I'm saying. There's not one or the other, but sure, don't, sure. don't just, don't just uh, give up on it either. So. Absolutely. And I think marketers also are, the reason why I don't trust that marketers can really sell at a booth is that they are all too focused on the how of an event, the logistics and getting the boxes there and building that pyramid of stress balls yep. and the happy hour and making sure you pick out the menu. Like, right. come on, marketers, come on. Then the why, why are we there? Why are we gathering people? What are we doing? What's going to happen from it? So if you have the same marketers that are working on the how, um, trying to deliver the why, you've got a problem. I, got, I have one more question for Tammy. Um, I know we keep going to one more question, but you know, <laughs> uh, you, you know this about Scott and I in, in terms of our beliefs of the micro conference, right? Um, you, yeah. you talked about it earlier about the conference within a conference. Um, Think about it as, as someone who's thinking of going to a micro conference, right? Like, you know, every, oftentimes the micro conferences go, wow, this looks really cool. It looks really good, but it's only 20 people, but it's, you know, you know, it's, it's just as much to go to that as it is to go to Dreamforce by the time I do airfare and hotel. How do we sell the micro conference? How do we, and, and again, I think your customers of 31 South, might be experiencing this too of how do we get how do we get our people to show up so what are the what are the values you're trying to, to present in the micro conference world or these these conferences within a conference i think most importantly is the are the meaningful conversations and relationship building um, it's really hard to nurture and foster relationships at a massive event because everyone's dashing around to wherever they are and i think it's important that um, you, you build those relationships. If they are 20 of the right people that you want to talk to and be around or in front of, guaranteed that the, the conversations you have 
in a curated environment um, will extend a lot further, much quicker than popping in with a follow-up email amidst 500 other follow-up emails a week later. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us, Tammy. We always love uh, talking with you, you and been yeah. a big fan and, and appreciate thank all your support you. with uh, Surf and Sales and all this kind of stuff. So look thank forward you. to talking to you again soon. Thanks, thanks guys. Tammy. Thanks so much for having me. All right. All right. Take it easy. Good to see Bye. you. Bye. You too. Bye.